This is Coach Lou Holtz, and you're listening to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast with Dr. Amber Selkie from the locker room to the boardroom. Dr. Amber is the best in the business at helping you and your team build the mindset that drive results. So lock in. If you can take just one thing away from today and implement it into your life, I know you'll be a better person and a better leader, coach, athlete, parent, or spouse because of it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast. This is your host, Dr. Amber Selking, where we are in season nine entitled The Power of a Word. So throughout this season, we are unpacking words that are powerful elements that high performers have wired into their lives and find it critical to them showing up as the absolute best version of themselves as a person, first and foremost, and then as a professional. Because what do we know? Repeated thoughts build mindsets, right? And mindsets are actual protein patterns that change the form and function of our brain and therefore impact how we show up, right? They basically act as an Instagram filter that changes the experience when we step into a moment. And so thoughts can do that for us because the brain is not a muscle in the scientific sense, but it functions like a muscle in the extent that the parts of it that we use grow and get stronger. The parts of it that we don't get weaker. And here's the thing about thoughts, right? Once we take thoughts and we start to verbalize them, that's when they become words and words can bring life, can bring healing, can bring power. And when we start to speak thoughts into existence and they become words, it transforms into a whole new element. And this season is about listening to other individuals and how they have taken words and brought them to life into how they show up moment by moment. And today I am thrilled, honored, excited to introduce you to one of my dear friends, Tim O'Connor. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's Great to be here. Always wanted to be on a show. I can say thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, well, you're welcome. Um, you, you first of all, you're welcome for this opportunity. <laughs> but secondly, um, no, thank you for being here. So for those of you that don't know Tim, Tim is the creative and brand program um, director for Fighting Irish Media at the University of Notre Dame. And Tim and I actually met. 12 years ago, dun, 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 in 2009 during my senior year at Notre Dame and just immediately hit it off. He was working for the university. Um, I was on a student project and we got to partner together on this. And from there, our friendship just continued to, to grow and to blossom. And when you talk about people that have been a part of your life that have encouraged your journey and gave you the courage to, to take steps into things that other people have no idea what is, or even uh, can conceptualize your, you being successful in that space. Tim has been that voice um, in my ear since 2009 and has continued to just, uh, light a fire within me to, to have the courage to step into new opportunities and believe that they could manifest into something special. So Tim, thank you for that because it's been an important part of my entire journey. Cool. He just gave me a thumbs up. You're, he's, he's you're, speechless. you're welcome. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Tim, tell us more. So creative and brand brand manager, what, what does that mean? What do you do? And, and how does that come to life at, at Notre Dame? Yeah, we have a, a startup mentality in Fighting Irish Media. FIM is the media um, production communications arm of Notre Dame Athletics. We're broadly about what um, we, we talk out to, outwardly to people and kind of interface with the, the media and the the television structures that, you know, try to connect with Notre Dame coming back through the other way. And 
I've traditionally, I have a background in graphic design, so I'm usually, I wear many hats. Some of them are more valuable than others. The, the, the key hat I wear is that my job is broadly about helping to make sure that the team, coaches, uh, the staff, when we're communicating visually, that we're getting to a good standard, high quality presentation across all of our, our brand presentations, which means like, you know, marks, colors, what are we saying? How are we presenting? My job is to try and like kind of herd all of those cats back into one, you know, single file line of cats, brand cats. <laughs> brand cats. I love that, which is a difficult job in and of itself when you're dealing with athletics coaches and multiple programs that all have their own little subcultures and needs yeah. and desires and likes and dislikes. And so what do you find most rewarding about your role? Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> well, I love Notre Dame. I am a uh, graduate also. I'm a bit older than you are, but uh, I the the ability to come to work every day and like I, I probably would have the same level of professional engagement if I worked at like say a manufacturer of you know widgets but the Notre Dame brand product is the thing that like you know so it has had such a significant part of the way that I that I basically developed as a person right like I've been a Notre Dame fan longer than anything else I can probably measure so to be able to take all of that thinking that's gone back decades literally about what this brand means to me and what's special about it and what I want people to think when they see it and engage with it and be able to come up with strategic ways to get to those results as often as possible. I mean, that's, that's about as rewarding as it can get. Like it's, again, I, I probably, let's say I was even just in, in college athletics, but if I worked for, you know, Michigan state, for example, I'm sure it would be a great job. I'm sure I'd have be a great time and I'm sure I'd be super professional about it, but I wouldn't like care about it in my DNA the way yeah. that like I, I could rip my arm off before I could stop being a Notre Dame fan so it's very rare that you get to try to encapsulate that emotion professionally like someone pays me to do this so I wake up every morning and I get to do that and so yeah that's that's pretty much why that's invigorating and so I'm curious you know when when we say the things like the Notre Dame brand right that can feel cold to people that can feel like you know pompous to people depending on who you are around the country and what your experience with Notre Dame has been but when you say like the Notre Dame brand what does that mean to you and why is it such like a stirring of your soul well what a gloriously awesome question that was um, I'm actually prepared to answer that one. Ooh. You're right. Brand is a really cold term. It's a very mechanical um, consumer industry term. It's like brand, brand, brand. Everyone thinks about brand, right? Unfortunately, there's no better word for it. You can kind of like dance around the concept that it represents, but it's sort of like an amorphous, like subjective thing. And it's what it means to me is um, you have a brand, I have a brand, this room has a brand, this microphone has a brand. It, it's what I think of when I'm reminded of those things. So if someone says da-da-da-da-da, you probably want French fries, right? Like it's, it's in, in all of your positive experiences with the McDonald's brand. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all of the, actually, you, you, right, right, or McDonald's, exactly. Um, all of the positive experiences that you associate with McDonald's theoretically like fire in your head all at the same time. And ideally that's what a really well-ordered brand is trying to drill out those emotional connections and, and, and get them to work in a way that meets the goals of your organization. So it's, it's not actually as cold as it sounds, especially for something like Notre Dame, because people have such positive emotions for it. I assume again, it's a little different if you're trying to sell people something that, you know, like a blender or I'm actually looking at a coffee grinder right now. So let's say a coffee grinder, not going to have much of an emotional connection to a coffee grinder, but with Notre Dame, 
if we have our brand right, every time you see our monogram or you see a gold helmet or you see uh, you know, an awesome touchdown or Arike sinking a shot to win a national championship, theoretically, it connects the dots between however long you've been a fan and all those positive experiences stack up and they all fire in your head at the same time. And uh, so broadly, brand to me is the set of ideas that everybody kind of carries around with them that, that you know, activate when they think of you or your uh, entity. And as we, it's actually really interesting because that's where we probably will end up moving in the future is helping um, our student athletes unlock that as well because they have brands also. They're like sub brands. Not sub, that's a really bad way to say it, but they exist um, as their own entities. And so when you think of, for example, Ian Book, he has a brand. He, there's something that you think of when you think of him and his ability to to be able to strategically present himself in a way that that you know, works for his benefit is a really powerful thing. That's what brand is. And then <clears throat> as a, as a side of that, I also say that brand is, is sort of a mask that you put between that set of emotions and the real world. And the more genuine you are as an organization, the more that mask looks just like your actual face. And I like to think that Notre Dame is that kind of institution that we, we're not perfect and we, we don't get it right all the time, but we're genuinely trying to do the right thing as much as we possibly can. And it's totally cool if you want to hate us for that thing, but you have to hate us for the right reasons if we're doing our brand properly. If, if we are, you know, um, disingenuous, then we're not being true to what we're telling people that we are. And that's what, that to me is what brand is. Man, that is powerful. I have so many thoughts and so many applications of everything that you just said there. But, you know, from a listener standpoint, I just hope that, you know, you took away what is a brand and what does that mean for your own life, first and foremost? And what does that mean with the brands that you interact, you know? And, and yet you still didn't answer my question specifically. Although I love your answer, and I started talking, and I forgot the question. <laughs> How about you? I'll, 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 I'll encapsulate it this time. Okay. No, that that was spectacular. I think that that is actually the higher order statement. So then I'm curious, like, what is the Notre Dame brand to you? Like, what oh, is cool. yeah. you know the 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 reality behind the mask of the brand that we hope again is so so connected and authentic? But what what does that mean to you? Right. Okay. So I think that in the simplest possible terms, the Notre Dame brand is about winning at the highest level the right way period. I just got an adrenaline rush. Right. That's everything that we say and do and try is in that direction. And in 10 years of working for the athletic department, I've never met anybody who isn't fully committed to that thing. Like, and, and I'll, I'll tell you honestly, if, if Notre Dame were to, for example, not um, value the educational structure of our student athletes, if it was just about winning, which it actually is in a lot of places, right? If we won a national championship, that really wouldn't mean that much to me because fundamentally all we would have done is express this ridiculous amount of effort to translate it into a trophy. And that's pretty much it because, you know, the, the, the point of competing in college athletics is that you are student athletes competing against other student athletes. So if, you know, you, you have to be true to that, that basic structure. That's what we mean when we say the right way. It, we're not, and again, that's a part of what I said earlier about people hating us for the right reasons. We get that a lot. I suspect that a lot of that hatred comes from not believing that we mean the words that we say, but we really do mean that thing. Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to win championships the right way. As the mental performance coach for the Notre Dame football team, I can attest yeah. that we do things the right way. And again, that's people could say, well, like you're sacrificing the opportunity for a championship, or people could say that's BS. You're yeah. not actually doing that. And either either end of the spectrum is okay. I mean, the, there's, that's not going to change our pursuit of greatness done the right way to, to manifest winning in kids' lives first and foremost. And then secondly, on the fields that we, that we play in and 
in life after, because guess what? That sport's going to end eventually. And I think the other thing that's beautiful about Notre Dame is that we really educate, equip and empower kids that when that sport's over, they're still going out to be awesome in whatever else they choose to put their hands toward. So what you just said, if we didn't do those things, we would not be true to our brand because theoretically love us or hate us. And ideally I'm a big professional wrestling fan. So ideally I want you to do both. I, I I'm cool with it because there's a thin line between love and hate. You just got to hate us for the right reasons. If you hate us because we say that we value student athletes here as people, as you know, um, academic structures, as you know, people that that are going to go out and make positive change in the world, and it's not just about how they play a sport; it's about the whole person. That is what you probably expect Notre Dame to say, right? Because that's our brand. That's theoretically, it would be really alien of us to come out and be like, "It's all about winning. It's only about winning. We only care about winning." Because that's not what we. That's not what you think of when you think of Notre Dame. That's what brand is, okay? So when I said earlier, like, you have a brand, I have a brand, this microphone has a brand. What I, what we need to communicate, I think, as we talk more about brand is, like, you, your ability to present yourself in a way that, that, that makes it certain that as many people as possible have a positive thought process about you is what, you know, good brand management is all about. And it's very, very easy for that to be cynical. It's very easy for it to be disingenuous. But one of the things I love about Notre Dame is that I'm never asked to do that. Like I'm never, no one ever says to me, okay, we need to cover up a whole bunch of, you know, steaming horse crap over here that we don't want people to see. It's, you know, we are pretty much what we say we are. That's awesome. I love that. Well, let's shift gears a little bit, right? And, and I know that you have a word that you believe is, is critically important to how you show up as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a professional. And so what is, what is this word that you're going to bring to us today to help challenge us to, to think differently about and to perhaps even wire into our own uh, journeys of high performance? Yeah, this is cool because you you actually invited me to be on this podcast in general terms about two weeks ago, and I, like I had the word the second I got away from the conversation, coming back in my car, I was like, you know what? I know my word. My word is going to be elegance. That's my word. I love it. Elegance, such a such. I like would love writing the word elegance too. It has so many good letters mm-hmm. a part of it. I love handwriting, by the way. That's a weird side note about myself. But elegance, why elegance? What does it mean to you, and and why is it important? You think? How abstract and and the. Uh, far field do you want me to go with this answer uh, just you know go? just like let's have general amber and tim life talk like we usually do and okay let's see where this goes i want to know the hypotheticals the amorphous elements and the pragmatic aspects i'm going to start down a rhetorical path here and there's a very real chance that i will get lost and need to be, be found back so let's let's keep a strong rope <laughs> i think that it's very easy to take the word elegance and think of audrey hepburn in breakfast at tiffany's that is not what i mean that's an expression of it but to me, elegance is when you strip away the noise and you have pure signal, when you get rid of the wasted effort and everything that you're doing for a graphic in the weight room, like in my job, like you know, doing design and Photoshop, everything you're doing is moving the ball forward and you're building real value. Like you're, because it's so easy to work and expend effort and not actually get anywhere. But you did, you worked really hard, you know? Like I could, I have a very favorite story that I used to tell from a friend of mine who, who this actually happened to him. He was in an office once, and this person who was working in the office, he had asked to make 700 copies of a stack of paper. And like an hour and a half later, he goes back out to see like, hey, where's the copies? And they're still in progress. And he's like, what, what are you doing? And the person was hitting the start button 700 times, once a time. And it's like, you know, you just type in 700 and start, like, and then we can walk away from it. And, we, and it would have been done like 45 minutes ago. That person worked really hard, right? There's a lot of effort expended. 
but no value created. So to me, I call that elegance when your effort expended and the value creation is as close to one-to-one as it possibly can get. And then you can port that over to any number of things. Because if you keep that in mind, you end up naturally finding ways to be more efficient in the things that you do all the time. That to me is elegance. Okay. So inefficiency is one of my biggest pet peeves. Say that one more time though, because I want to hear you say it again. And I know that our listeners are like, whoa, whoa, I should have wrote that down. The one-to-one ratio thing. Oh, yeah. Say that again. Yeah. Elegance is is what I would say. Picture a tuning fork. You put the tuning fork next to your ear, and you can hear when you're on perfect pitch, and there's like a like a perfect little ringing sound, and you're like, wow, that that's perfect, right? To me, that's when your effort expended and the value created are one to one. Like you, you've it's 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 practically impossible to do this. It's it's a goal to work towards. It's not something that you can because there's always friction. You know, it's like physics. I was going to talk about physics here earlier. You put a certain amount of effort into something. The effort shouldn't be like hunting down photos. Or, you know, clipping a picture out for the 7,000th time or trying to search for fonts because you didn't have the font ready. And this is, this is me talking about it as a graphic expression. It should be about creating new value. So there's a certain amount of inefficiency that can never be squeezed out of something. But if you carry around the goal that where I can squeeze inefficiency out, I will, everything ends up becoming better. So one of the things that I like to say is that I'm literally not a particularly great designer. I'm okay, but I'm not a great designer. What I am is an exceptionally efficient designer. So in my experience, what I can do is I can do three or four perfectly good, but maybe not revolutionary graphics in the time it takes a really great designer to do one extraordinary cutting new territory. No one's ever seen it before award-winning graphic, but I got four out and they got one out. That's the difference between Um, I think elegance and kind of like finding your way forward and making the same mistakes over and over again. I hate that. I'd hate that. So I encapsulate that in elegance. That's well, that's how I think of it. I love that on a, on a pragmatic level, how, what does that look like in, in your day-to-day actual role? Like what are some things that you do to create elegance or to find elegance in, in what you're putting your hand toward? Yeah. The, one of the things that I do day-to-day is, kind of like hunt and fetch for logos and marks and things like that. Like if someone, someone comes to me and they say, I need the the proper Notre Dame logo to use in this application. And my job is broadly about finding and connecting them with the right one. Not like saying, Hey, the answer's over here, go hunt for it or guess, you know, it's like use this one. Elegance to me would be my storage system is so well designed that they don't have to ask me because that is a solution that doesn't, necessitate me like if i am if if i am the 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 cog around which all of the logo production in the department spins then you know you call it the hit by a bus problem if i go out and i'm hit by a bus our logo problems become really acute if i have a good system you can probably find what you want that's elegance because one of those things requires a conversation with me and one of them doesn't and i might be busy i might forget like there's all sorts of little like the more complexity you add to anything the more likely you make it that it will fail or break. And I, I, I feel like that, you should try to squeeze all those things out. You should always look to simplify because the simplest concepts are usually the most pure and they're, they're the most elegant. Yeah. Every time I feel like we talk, I'm reminded of how much I appreciate our friendship and how different we are. 
and yet how alike we are, you yeah. know? And I think that that's the beauty. I don't, I'm like going on a totally different path here for a second, but like, you know, I think the beauty in diversity, right. Is diversity. I mean, there's everything is diverse, but our just diversity of thought and perspective on things is when, you know, when you can really, I think tap into the power of diversity is when you have people that have the same underlying mission or belief system in terms of like excellence, right. And winning the right way. Those are, those are things that bind us in sort of a a common thread, but how we go about thinking about that or, or manifesting that into our lives is so different. And it's so, it's always just so thought provoking when we get together in terms of how I process things and the fact that we're so close, despite how different we are. You know, it's it's funny when I, I used to work at a fortune 500 company right out of school. Right. And at the time we used to kind of scoff at the idea of mission statements. It was like the mission statement, here comes the mission statement again. It's the mission statement. The older I get, the more I realize that what you just said is really crucial. Like if if you can, again, it's elegant. If you can have a leader who can who can articulate, your goal is to do these two things or these three things. Then you, with your specific set of life experiences and, and perspectives, have the freedom to figure out your way to that end result your way. And I have the freedom to figure out the way to the end result my way. And it doesn't matter if we get there to different paths because we're both on mission. We're both doing the same thing. In the absence of that articulation, what ends up happening is people in really good faith wander off in many directions and you end up with a completely catastrophic end result, which is what it was like before we decided to get really serious about brand. We had we have 26 programs in Notre Dame and there was no central help for any of them previously. So when they would say, I need a new uniform to motivate my team, I just don't like the way Irish looks on the on the on the jersey. Um, I'm not a big fan of gold. I want to go with green. Like all those decisions were made independently. And, you know, based on whatever the whim of a person who's making the decision, they would go right to the outfitter. And, and you end up with a situation where like Notre Dame literally had like 10 different looks when it would hit the field. Not because anyone was failing. They were all trying to do the right thing. The better way to do that is to come back together and say, you know what, you're not competing internally like our women's basketball program is not competing with our men's lacrosse program together you're competing with carolina and as soon as you say that everyone's like oh we, we are competing with carolina that's a good point and then and everyone's like well we should probably be on the same page we can go much faster that way it's just you know it's it's cool it's it's what we do yeah, I love that. And so, you know, one of my other roles is vice president of leadership and culture at Lipper. And we just went through a whole rebranding as well as, as a corporation for that exact reason. And so it's so fun to hear you share these things of like the, the why the brand is so important and how powerful it can be, not only for internal alignment, but for external expression, right? And for to really tap into the heart and mind of those that you're trying to to share your product with or your service with or you know, your, your belief system with, because ultimately, you know, at Notre Dame and at Lipper, it's, it's ultimately about sharing that belief system of, of how to uh, be a force for good in the world, whether that's through sport and academic or through manufacturing and business. Right. So I love, I just love everything that we're talking about right now. And I'm most likely going to share this with our uh, marketing team just to give them a huge shout out for the amazing work that they're doing because hurting cats is not easy. And that's what I think the first season of brand alignment really feels like. But once you get going, man, the power behind that is just so, so important. Yeah. It's good that your, um, your organization understands the value of it because that's if there's anything, anybody listening to this podcast takes one thing away from it. It's if you are making decisions, about how your organization, entity, your person are presented to the world without thinking about them, they're probably not the right decisions and they're certainly not consistent, right? So 
if you are Lippert, for example, and you, you, you realize that you can't easily answer the question, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? What do we want them to think? Someone's job should be to think those things through. And then those answers should come like really easily to people. And if they have people to think about them or worse, if you have multiple answers, your organization isn't on the same page. It doesn't, any one of those answers might be equally valid, you know, and they might, might all have a really good point, but someone, usually someone high up who gets paid a lot of money needs to sort those out and say, of all of the valid answers, this is the right one, and we're all gathered around this. At Notre Dame, I think it's it's broadly, we're going to win championships the right way. I love that. And, and, and here's the other thing that we say all the time, like whether it's the mission statement or whether it's your brand, why it's so important that everything is aligned is because, again, repeated thoughts build mindsets. Like we get our thoughts through things that we hear, things that we listen to, things that we see. And if those are different, every time you look or hear something about a person or an entity, then guess what? You're never building a mindset, right? Like a a literal protein pattern that gets woven into your brain does not get woven into your brain about that individual or, or the mission that you're on as an organization. And so, you know, in our work in, in culture development, like that's a, that's a huge part is clarifying, you know, what's our vision, what's our mission, what are the values that we're going to esteem and espouse to, and then hammering them consistently enough that the people that are part of the system are like, Oh, this is, this is what, Oh, this is how we make decisions. Oh, this is how this guides our behavior. Oh, this is why this was a bad decision. (laughs) And when, when those people stop like dragging their feet and, and just like kind of rolling their eyes and going along with it and really understand how it makes everything better, that's when you win. Right? Like when Enrique Gumbele shoots the game winning shot for the national championship in the women's basketball game, she's wearing a Notre Dame monogram that has, you know, 75 years worth of of accumulated positive brand association with it, right? So that a little bit of that transfers over because we have the things properly aligned. Now, if what I like to tell people internally is that if Enrique had, because that was the biggest game of the year, if they're like, we're going to go really special, we're going to go out in fuchsia uniforms, which he actually kind of did one year, right? If we're going to go out and like, and we don't look like Notre Dame, then at the point where the most important thing that happened in that program's history happened, for 35 years, you'll look at the pictures of it and you'll be like, we're the ones in the bright orange. It was a thing that year. We just really wanted to do something special. I'm like, no, you, you should look like Notre Dame. Because if you're going to be a student athlete at Notre Dame, no matter what sport you're playing, you should be encouraged to understand that you're there because you hit an incredibly high bar just to be in there. And then you, it's special. Like You're going to wear the monogram. You're going to wear blue and gold. You're going to represent the university. What would it be if we said to you, no, you you get to wear you know bright yellow. You're the only team that gets to wear bright yellow. And when you win, you'll look like Pitt. You won't look like Notre Dame. Man, that's a really interesting way to think about it. You know, because we hear some student athletes talk all the time, like, oh, we want these, you know, all the same color all the time, or or even fans. <laughs> student athletes love black uniforms, by the way. That's that's the feedback. I get. That's, can, we, can we wear black uniforms? Nice. Or fans, right? Yeah, that absolutely. have no idea about any of this. It's like, oh, why don't we wear all these crazy color? Like, well, because there's something special about what you're coming to be a part of, right. and and it's about you know the historical context of what you're a part of on a bigger scale, and then that you get to be a part of that as well. And so it's sort of this macro and micro element. And I think that in today's society, there's so much selfishness, you know, that exists within things. And, and that's, and then we wonder why, you know, all oh, these kids are entitled or well, well, because systems help perpetuate that. And so yeah. what, what system can we as adults and leaders think differently about the purpose of systems and the development of individuals and organizations? The reason why Notre Dame athletics exists is so you, their performance brings glory to the institution. 
if you think about it, there really isn't any other reason. Like you, your the, your spirit, your allegiance, like your loyalty to Notre Dame is expressed in the performance of these athletes, and we should never choose to be involved in any sport if we don't expect to win everything in it because that's what our brand says. Those athletes' personalities are super, super important, and we should absolutely encourage them to have their own brand expression. Absolutely, we should encourage them, which is actually a huge step in the right direction because 10, 15 years ago when social media was first coming on the scene, it was a real threat. People were really nervous about, like, what if they say something bad? They might. I mean, that's that's, but they might say something bad to a reporter, too. They might say something bad, you know, locally. The... The point, though, is that you should start, if the institution is doing things right, they start from a firm Notre Dame athlete foundation that's well-crafted and designed. And then they express their their personality as a Notre Dame student athlete. But my favorite comparison for uh, Notre Dame is, I love the way that the Marines brand themselves. Like, if you see a Marine, you know it's a Marine. Like, there's... Uh, and you know they they are a personality unto themselves and they have their own expression but their the 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 look of the uniform and the presentation is so important because it stitches them together with 200 years of other people that have held that title that's what that to throw that away because you either didn't think about it or because you wanted to kind of do something different because you're just a little bit bored with seeing the monogram for the for the 80,000th time I try to work against that anytime I can. Like you, you can never have too many monograms. You cannot have too many blue and gold. And I actually thought of my original point halfway through that. Um, one of the things that I just got through doing was rewriting our brand guide for athletics because uh, I was trying. I found that people in good faith are reading our existing guide and coming to incorrect outcomes. And they were trying. They were doing what we asked them to do, but they're like, "Well, the answers are here. It's on this page." I'm like, "Well, that, you know, the pages need to change, right?" So my entire brand strategy that that got recently rewritten is based on color because the uniform is actually the brand expression. Like I can spend all day talking about how great I think the monogram is as a logo. And I do, but if you're in the last row of seats, you still need to know which one is the Notre Dame student athlete. And that's why it's important because when they're, you know, putting boot to butt and winning, you should never have a moment where you're like, now is it the gray team or the the light blue? Which one is Notre Dame this time? I like how they have this 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 variance and they change it up, but I don't know which one is them. Right? <laughs> yeah, like you want because you might be paying completely close attention, but we also want to reach the person who's gonna be a fan doesn't even know it yet, and that moment where they're gonna capture their attention, like you can probably pinpoint the point when you became an Notre Dame fan. I'll bet you probably can do that. For me, it was about halfway through the third quarter of the '93 Florida State game when. Florida State had this really quirky tipped pass touchdown in the end zone, and suddenly it was a seven-point game when it should have been, I remember it was a 14-point game, when it should have been a blowout, and it's like, oh, no, the guys are going to lose. And I was like like on the edge of my seat for the rest of the game. I'm like 13 years old, and like, I, and they win, and I could no sooner, like I said earlier, rip my arm off than not be an Notre Dame fan. You never know when that's going to happen. So a really well-organized brand will present a cohesive message as much as they can so that like if someone has that, crossing over into a lifelong fan moment. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Like, why yeah. would, aren't we stronger with that person on the bus than off of it? So why would we want them to build an awesome positive connection with the wrong color or the wrong mark? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, and yet I still feel like there might be listeners being like, yes, but everybody should have their own identity and expression. And, and I just want to clarify that that's not what Tim's saying. Right? No, I, like, I absolutely agree with you. I think yeah. they should. But yep. I think that when Pat Connaughton, for example, speaks as a Notre Dame student athlete, we owe it to him to give him the foundational elements of a Notre Dame student athlete that that have value. So he's standing on a really high platform when he starts to express who, who you know Pat Connaughton, the Notre Dame student athlete, is. 
That's yeah. it's that's a sign that your brand is ordered. Like you can't, I suppose you can, but I don't know why you would. You shouldn't let people drill down into that core brand and start to re-express it themselves because what will end up happening is they'll, whether they think it's a smart move or not, will end up off by themselves. And like, I think of that scene from, I think Rocky five when Drago's like running through the snow, you know, like how much easier it is to be running behind Drago rather than out in front of him. And like, you have this, 150 year old football freight train over on the left, like this massive brand thing that so many people care about. It has all this energy wrapped up in it. And you can take those elements and use them yourself because they're there for you to use. And it's like this gigantic thing is out here blazing a trail and you just kind of get to draft behind it like a NASCAR and be like, I'm a Notre Dame student athlete. Like why would you be out reinventing yourself and be you, but let us be us such that your personal brand has that amplification because it's standing next to or on the awesome Notre Dame athletics brand. Yeah, that, that's huge, right? Because then it flips the script. It's not that Notre Dame is using you or, and, and I, we keep using Notre Dame, but it could be not that McDonald's is using you or not that oh, yeah. um, you know, imagine- Liverpool is using you, but that like you're using that brand, right? And and all that comes to it because you've chosen to be a part of it. And I think that that's, that's something pretty awesome and powerful. Imagine, if you will, that you're a McDonald's franchisee. I'm sure this is really challenging for you to imagine. Th- this is really hard for me to imagine because that is my real life. Yeah. <laughs> if... If you're if you decided one day that you really just don't like red, so you're gonna you're gonna go green, and the McDonald's arches like it'll be you really like Perpetua. So we're gonna to the typeface we're gonna spell out McDonald's in that typeface, and it's gonna be green, and we're gonna have McDonald's. It still says McDonald's, so any rational person is gonna connect it to the real brand. But you've lost the color recognition, you've lost the symbolic recognition, you've lost the typeface consistency recognition, and you've made it pretty much impossible that someone who's not paying completely close attention will know at a glance that's McDonald's. So why would they do that? What a great example, right? Because then for sure, as an owner operator, your profits go down. People aren't exactly. turning in to go through your drive through at lunch because they're not really sure what the green is. They're looking for golden ar- red and gold arches. And they, right? they can't be certain. They can probably assume that it's a real McDonald's, but they can't be certain. And so you've introduced a little bit of doubt, which means that you've lost somebody's attention at the margins. So you're, you just, you don't have the ability to be that um, creative with your brand because you, it's so hard to keep it focused to begin with. Once you start getting off that path, you lose the attention of people that are there to convert in our case into fans. Like we want you to care about Notre Dame athletics more than anything in the world. We, I have a slide in one of my uh, brand decks of a guy that's got uh, the dome tattooed on the back of his head. Cause I'm like, that's awesome. Like <laughs> us and Harley, who, who else, maybe the Olympics, do people tattoo their logo on their body? It's amazing. You know, that's, that's what you want, but you can't build that connection if you don't even know what your logo is. Like, which mark are they going to pick, right? Yeah. We should have that answer. We can't just say, I don't know, one of the four. Grab one when you feel feels best. Some of them have different uses. We have to think those things through. That's awesome. I love I love that. And what, a, again, a powerful application in so many different aspects of, of life and business and sport. So thanks for sharing that. So, you know, as we wrap up here um, in our conversation today, I, we always leave our listeners with some championship mindset training. So something that they can do to, to weave into their own lives, this, this concept of elegance. So, Mr. Tim O'Connor, what would you leave for our listeners today as our championship mindset training? Yeah, that's a good question. There's, there's something you do every day, all the time. There's something that's the core of what you do and you're really good at it. It's your thing. For me, it's Photoshop. Like I, it's just something that like I'm a, I'm a swimming in the water there in a different way than I am other places. I have gills and I have fins and I'm not struggling against the current. That's my thing. 
But the reason why it's my thing is because I have had the personal discipline whenever I run into something where I'm like, man, that is really hard. Why is it that hard? Why shouldn't there be an easier way to do that? That's when I like go to Google and I'm like, create a drop shadow to put a different mask on it. And then someone, someone out there has an article and they've answered that specific question. And that's what Google makes awesome. Like you have the ability to constantly refine the little burrs on the, the, you know, the metal, the cast that you have, like you can constantly be sanding it down. And the, and the more, the better you get, every one of those things is this tiny little fractional piece of efficiency that if you do it 10,000 times, suddenly you are X percent better at what you do. And then what ends up happening is people watch you like two years later and they're like, you're so fast. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. And I, and not only am I fast, but I can tell you why I'm doing these things. Like I'm not deleting pixels. I'm not, I'm, I'm doing, I'm building a file that anybody who knows Photoshop can pick up and work from because I've, I, I've thought about it really hard. That's the thing about elegance is that if you are aware of the points that you're not sure of, like be mindful of, I, I, I love the analogy of like walking through an old house and you catch your, your sleeve on a, on a nail, you know, and you're like, oh, you, you can, you can unhook your sleeve and keep walking or you can hammer the nail down. Like when I, in my processes, if I ever catch my metaphorical sleeves on nails, that's an opportunity for me to like solve a tiny little fractional problem. And if you stack up enough of those fractional problems, you end up becoming an expert at something um, because that's how people do it, whether they're, they're mindful of it or not. So that's, I think the most important thing about, about elegance is like the, the purest, best, most efficient, fastest, least time wasty process, that should be the ideal. And the only way to get there is to have the discipline to file down the burrs. Your ability to speak in metaphors and help people connect dots and is just spectacular. I, I love filing down burrs or you know catching a catching a sleeve on a nail. What a great analogy for the concepts that you're trying to teach. That that's one of the things that just makes you spectacular. So I love <laughs> well, it. Again, elegance. Like if you, if you have to be able to take complicated things and make them simple because it's not that people are dumb. They're not. It's that in a modern society, you have distractions everywhere. And there's something that's always competing for your attention. So if you are not thinking a really complex thing down to the bare minimum points and saying, here's three points, remember these three points, they won't remember any of the points. It's like, you can communicate it. But I like to say that if you say something and someone doesn't hear it, it's not communicated. It kind of like falls down in the middle between two people. If I say something and you remember it, that was my responsibility, I communicated it. The only way I can do that is to pare it down. Yeah. And then just from a, a brain standpoint too, right? Like the, the brain has these sort of schemas built in for what it's like to snag a sleeve on a nail. And so by making that connection to something like elegance in process, it allows the brain to construct and, and log a memory at a deeper way. So when people walk away from this episode, they're really cognizant of what we meant when we talked about the concept of elegance, yeah. right? That one-to-one -one ratio of effort and value. And if we can instill that in everything that we do, then man, what an opportunity to bring all the goodness and greatness that are inside of us as individuals to whatever it is, right. That we choose to put our hand to. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, it was so fun. fun having you on. Yeah. I appreciate the invite. Thank you. It was cool. Absolutely. And listen, if there's anything that we can do for you at Selkin Performance, whether it's keynote speaking for your organization or one-on-one -on -one performance coaches with one of our incredible performance staff, uh, check out our website, www.selkinperformance.com. Follow us on all the social media platforms, but more importantly than following us, we'd love to hear how you're thinking about these concepts, how you're applying it to your own life. And you can do that on Twitter at Champ Mindsets, on Instagram at Selkin Performance, and on Facebook at Selkin Performance Group. And then again, if there's anything we can do for you, uh, send me an email directly, drselkin at selkinperformance.com or if you, again, just want to share how this is impacting how you show up as an individual, I'd love to hear your story. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Building Championship Mindsets, the podcast. This is your host, Dr. Amber Selking, and from the locker room to the boardroom, I just want to challenge you to continue building your championship mindset.